uh, I'm reading from Matthew 21, 23 to 43. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we feel the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man has two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of, did the will of his father? And they said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and heralds into the kingdom of God before you. For John came you to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and heralds believe him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will we do the, to those vine dressers? They said to him, He would destroy those wicked men miserably and leave his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whoever whomever it falls it will grind him to powder now when the chief priests and pharisees heard his parables they perceived that he was speaking of them but when they sought to lay hands on him they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet let us pray lord thank you for your word which is true which never changes lord i pray that as we share of your word let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. 
Amen. Um, we're going to share together God's word this morning. I'm grateful to be able to do that. So last week, Pastor Ryan spoke a little bit from uh, Matthew chapter 21 too. He spoke of the triumphal entry. He spoke of Jesus cleansing the table, the temple, and the fig tree. Um, and this week, I'm continuing on that as we continue on the book of Matthew. And our title, main title in the book of Matthew is The Narrow Way. And today, I want to speak to us about the narrow way of the rejected stone. So, last week, we saw Jesus coming in as an unexpected, with unmet expectations. He comes in, he changes things, he comes in, he, um, he's more confrontational. It's his last week in Jerusalem. He's just, his face is set on Calvary. He is very determined to get to where he needs to go. So at times you find him, he's very confrontational. At times you're like, what is he doing? This is not the same Jesus that we know from the rest of the Gospels. And it's because his eyes are set on what God had called him to do and to finish it up. So this is the last week. And as we read through the last week, there are different things that we see that do not point to the normal, gentle, savior sort of that show a little bit of a lion that is roaring. And I, I want us to continue in that and see how that comes out. So this week we've got three parables here, three portions that we need to work through together um, as we look at uh, the story of Matthew chapter 21. So the chief priests and the elders had every right to ask him, what authority do you do these things with? I mean, think about it, for all the things that we've had that he had done the previous week, turning up the tables and doing all those things, I think they had the right to ask. I think it was, it was fine for them to ask. And because all these things had happened that had not happened before, there is no teacher who had come and done the same things that Jesus had done. So for them, this was maybe right to ask, where do you get this authority he had done extraordinary things. He had done things that surprised them. He had done things that, was, that were not normally done by any teacher or any rabbi. So they asked him, what authority are you doing these things? I love Jesus' answer. We're speaking about this um, at, at our staff meeting on Tuesday. And Shane said something which I, I really liked. He's like, this is one of my favorite parts about Jesus. The story of Jesus, this when he answers this, this the way he saw his, yeah, the way he answers them in a way that is almost sarcastic but very, like, daring is very interesting. Because he says to them, I'm not going to answer you, but I'm going to ask you a question. By whose authority did John do his ministry? The baptism of John. Was it of heaven or was it of men? And so in doing that, Jesus is raising the question of are they competent? <laughs> they have a right to ask him because they've seen him do things. But are they competent to judge him? Because their question here was, yes, it was a good question, but it was done in a way to judge him. So he asks them, he puts them in a place of seeing if they are competent to ask, to, ans to ask him that, to judge him on such an issue. 
And then we see that by their ability to judge John the Baptist and his ministry was the measure of their ability to judge Jesus too. If they were able to judge John well, they have their answer about their question for Jesus. And the most funny thing here is that this is amazing. (laughs) This is amazing because they had seen John, they had rejected John, and they had seen Jesus, and they were rejecting Jesus. And Jesus puts them back and says, okay, if you're going to ask me this question, I will ask you a question about John that you rejected. And if you can answer that question well, then you have the answer. And I strongly believe that they did have an answer. They did have the right answer. But because what they were looking for was judgment, you hear what they say afterwards. They say, it says that they went together and talked, and then they said, we do not know. So we see them here answering after carefully calculating what the political consequences would be. Why do I say that they, 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 they used, they tried to find out what would the political consequences would be? It's because they, they asked each other, what, what should we say? If we say this, the people will say this. If we say this, he will say this. And, and their whole idea of why they were answering and how they answered, they calculated on what will people say? What would be the popular thing to say? What would be the thing that makes us look good to the people? That's politics. That's what politicians do. And and the funny thing is that even in the church, we have found ourselves asking, what will people do? We we find ourselves worried about some political consequences or, or popularity consequences than the truth. The truth was there in front of them. There was there were people who studied scripture. They knew who he was. They were people who had studied scripture. And still, they come back and they say, and what authority do you do these things? They were more interested in the opinions of the multitude rather than the will of God. As a church today, do we, can we say that we are more interested in the will of God than the opinions of the multitude around us? Can we truly say that? There they had their answer. The answer laid in where their hearts were. Today I want us to think about this question. I've got a question on the screen that's going to pop up. It says deep down, when it comes right down to it, whose opinion do you care about? More of God's opinion or people and how does it show in your life? I want us to take a minute. I want us to take a minute and think about this. Take a minute and examine your heart. Ask your heart, deep down when it comes to the real stuff, when the rubber hits the road, what what is it exactly that pushes me to decisions? What is it that pushes me to action? What is it that I'm worried about more? Is it the opinion of God or the opinion of others? Let's take a minute and think about that. In our world today, we are tempted a lot to think about what others would think, to think of popularity, to think of our reputation amongst others. We are so much tempted to put at stake even the truth for the sake 
of popularity or for the sake of politics or for the sake of being known as this person. And I want to challenge us Broadway. There are so many things that we are known as as the church here at Broadway. And they are good things. But I want us to think about what is it that we really want to be known for? Is it the truth of following what God has called us to do? Or is it a way of impressing others and being in the in crowd? Because following Jesus is not, is not going to be liked by everybody. If Jesus was not liked by everybody, as we see, following him will not be liked by everybody. It won't be popular. And I want to ask you and me, I'm included in this. Where am I? Am I at a place where I want to, be, to impress people and make them feel and think of me a certain way? Or am I at a place where I am all in for the truth and honesty of coming before God just as I am? Some of us have sold the truth for ambitions. Some of us have sold the truth for our political aspirations. Some of us have sold the truth so that we can look better to others. Let us not sell the truth. The truth of his word remains. He who, he, the authority that he has remains. And I want to encourage us to not be like these people here who are asking this question and then deciding it based on what will people think. It's not a bad question for them to ask. But it is the motive behind the question. It is the thought behind the question. It is how they come to answer the question. Broadway, we are here to please God. First and most of all, we are here to please God. We need to look God in, good in God's sight more than anything else. I'll move to the second one. The second story is the parable of the two sons. And we see a father here who goes to his sons individually and he gives them the same message. And he says to them, go son, go today and work in my vineyard. Today, not tomorrow, not in the distant time, today, go and work in my vineyard. He speaks to them individually. And the sons, they hear the message. The Bible tells us that um, one says, um, I will not go. But then he regrets it and he goes into the vineyard and does what his father called him to do. And the other says, I will go, sir. He's a respectable guy. He respects his father, even calls him sir. I will go, sir. And he does not go. And we see this story and we, we, we realize that the father appeals to his sons because he knows that they are his sons. He appeals to his sons to work together in this family business, to work together to bring out something that they should be interested in because it belongs to their father. Because it mattered to the father, it needed to matter to the sons. And today, I want us to think about this. In our lives today, there are so many places where we are like the son who says, yes, sir, I will go. 
and does not go. And a few things I want us to think about. There are many of us who admit that God's word is true. We admit it. We say it. We intend to get serious with Jesus one day. We intend to get serious about the call that God has called us to do one day. We talk about doing the Father's work. We talk about it. We have got words for it. We keep up this external appearance so that people will think, so that people will see the appearance of religion. But our hearts are empty and not right with God. And it all ends up as promises and promises that are not fulfilled. And I want to ask us today as Broadway, where do we stand in that? Are we people who are like the son who had these good words, who had this packaged, his words were packaged well enough, yes, sir, I will go, but he did not go. Or are we like the son who, who made the mistakes, no, I'm not going to go, but then regretted because he realized that I messed up there and walked forward and did what the father had asked them to do. Jesus asked them later, who is it that did the father's will? And all of them say, the one who said, I would not go because he went and did it. Sometimes as believers and sometimes as children of God, we are sons of the father, just like these sons. And like the second son said, I will go, say, but did not do these things. Sometimes we talk of repenting, but we do not repent. We speak of believing. We've got words for it, but we do not believe. We speak and think about submitting to God and talk about it in big terms, but we do not submit to him. Spurgeon says that these kind of people, they say it is time they broke up the fellow ground and sought the Lord, but they do not seek him. It all ends up a mere promise, empty promise. Some of us have said, Lord, it's going to be tomorrow. I will start afresh tomorrow. Tomorrow I will, I will listen to you. Tomorrow as Monday starts, this is a new fresh for me. This is a new start. And we've said that every week. We have said, I will obey that word that you gave me. I'll submit to it. I'll believe that word that you gave me. And each time we push it further. And we push it further. And we push it further. Which of the two sons did the will of the father. This parable is very clear in that what matters the most for us as believers is not just the right words that we say, but it's the actual walk. You see, these religious leaders were good at talking the righteous talk, but their hearts were stubborn and unrepentant. And so a question for us is that are we good at talking the right talk with hearts that are stubborn and unrepentant? Or are we on the other side, which is the good side, of being able, to, of being very repentant and not just talking the talk, but walking it? I was saying to um, a group of young men on, on Friday night, I say to them, it's important that we're talking about how do we share the gospel to others? How do we teach? Because... 
when you look at it in Matthew, Jesus says, go ye and preach the gospel. And he says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have taught you. And the, the question that the young men were asking each other was, what does it mean to teach them to obey the things that he has taught us? And we talked about a lot of things, talked about helping them read the Bible, um, teaching those principles, preaching, teaching, growing, and all that. And I say to them, there is one thing that we have left out here. Is how people learn from watching you that is teaching them walk the talk. I say to them, how does it feel when your parent says to you, you should not do this, but they go and do that. I say that's the very same way when Jesus says to his disciples, teach them to obey the things that I have taught you. He's not talking about just using the words. He's talking about leaving it in front of them. Which is the reason why we come together as a church. Which is the reason why we grow as we come together as a church. The things that we hear and learn are good and they are great. But one thing that is important is how do we walk this? It's good to have words for it. But I want to challenge you that to your words add action to it. We need to walk as Jesus walked. It's not just talking as Jesus talked. It is talking and walking as Jesus walked. So the question that I want to challenge you on on this one is when it comes to it, when it comes to the deep stuff, are we all lip service or we are action too? It's very easy to be lip service. Anybody can say, I love Jesus. The Bible tells us that even the demons tremble at the name of Jesus. They know and they tremble. But for us, is it just something that we say or is it something that we live? This Christian life is not just a religion. It is a lifestyle. As we walk, are we walking the same way? You know, the, the believers when they were called Christians the first time, it's not because they weren't telling everybody, we are Christians. No, it's because the people of the world saw how they walked. And initially they had called them the people of the way. But when they saw how they walked, they changed and said, they are Christians, they are legal Christ because they are walking like Christ. Can the world say that about us today? That we are legal Christ because we are walking like Christ. That's my challenge for me today. Can somebody say to me, that guy is a Christian because he walks like Christ. Before I even say a word. And then the second question here is, is our following Jesus together? We say we are following Jesus together. That's one of the main things in our church, following Jesus together. It sounds great and it's awesome, but is it just in words or is it in action? What does it mean to follow Jesus together in action? What does it mean to have that identity together as we follow Jesus, as we walk together, as when a brother falls down, we hold them up? What does that look like? What does that look like when Paul says to the, the, the church, follow me as I follow Christ? Can we surely say that to new believers, that follow me as I follow Christ? Is it just words? 
or is it action? The gospel is not just words. The gospel is words and action. I don't want you to go out here thinking that words are not important. Words are important. Words are important. But action backs your words. Make sure that your words are true. Action puts puts fuel to your words. The other question that we see here is our being a city on a hill or the salt of the world only in action or in words? Not just amongst each other. We've spoken about amongst each other. But about the world out there, we are a city on a hill. We are the salt of the world. Is this in action or is this in words? In your own life, in your office every day, or in your shop every day, or in the classroom that you teach every day, or in the classroom that you sit in every day, are you the salt in reality or you are the salt in words that has lost its taste? Are you the light that is shining for Jesus or you are as dim as a torch that is losing its battery power? Is it real? Number three, the third one, is the parable of the wicked servants. There is a landowner here that we see and he, he, he buys this vineyard and then he lets it out to other people um, and there is an agreement obviously that I will get a return from this. And all this and all that. And when we hear in the Bible, God speaks a lot about the vineyard and he uses it as a picture of Israel. So the owner of the vineyard has the right to the fruit because he has purchased it. He has listed out and there's an agreement that there is right to the fruit. He expects the fruit in its season. In the same way, God looks to us and he expects fruit. We had the story um, last week of the fig tree. When the owner of the fig tree went to find fruit in the fig tree and could not find any. And a sorry story of what happened to that fig tree. And I want to encourage us and, and challenge us as the church today. That are we the tree that has something or with a tree that looks good but has nothing like that fig tree? Is the owner of the vineyard going to come and find and get fruit from us or not? Is there fruit in this vineyard? And we know in this story, they killed the, the, the sons and they killed, uh, they killed the, the servants and they killed the son. And all that points to Jesus and what's going to happen to him. But at the end of the day is that the owner had the right to the fruit and he needed fruit and he could not get it. The owner of the church has a right to the fruit. Is he finding any fruit? Is he finding any faith in Broadway? But also, on the other hand, we look at these people who had, who had gotten this vineyard. They came in and their response was rejection. Rejecting the owner's demand. Rejecting the fact that the owner needed what belonged to him. They rejected the word of the owner from the servants all the way to his son. They rejected it. And sometimes when things 
in our lives, God speaks about certain things in our lives that need to change. We can either receive it or reject it. And I want to ask you and me, at different times in our lives, how have we received his word to us? Have we received it like these tenants who threw out everything and rejected it? Or have we received it and did what we are called and asked to do by him at that time? The last week of Jesus, the, this, this last week is, is chock-a-blocked with things that are really hard. And they might not be some things that make you excited and happy and jump off the benches. But these are true things that make you think and challenge us. How have you received his word? How have you received his word? The fourth part is Jesus speaking to, the, to these leaders, these religious leaders, and saying to them, how blind are you? He marvels at their blindness. They've rejected the stone that has become the chief cornerstone. It's very interesting because if you look at it in John 3.11, when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, one of the builders, he was one of the leaders, he was one of the teachers, he's one of the builders here in the story. And in John 3.11, says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand this? Jesus is amazed at their blindness. They should have been the first ones to recognize him because they knew the Old Testament. They had studied the Old Testament. They had waited for a Messiah. They knew the signs and they had seen them happen, but they did not recognize him. He marvels at them. Even today in our world, there is no guarantee that all builders or religious leaders and experts theologians, pastors, including me, will recognize the stone. That's a sad thing to think about. He is the stone that was rejected. And Jesus continues to speak to Nicodemus, and he says in John 3, 14 through 21, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come to the world and men have loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And as I read this, I see a picture of one of those people that Jesus had said, you as teachers of Israel, don't you understand this? Don't you see this? And he says to him that for the reason of not being able to recognize and, re and denying him, there is already an end for them. And also there is an end for those 
a good ending for those who have believed in the Son. And he says to them in a way, he says to them, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that bears the fruits of it. There was doom for them. There was forfeiture of the privilege of being part of this kingdom. The kingdom was being taken away from them and given to others. What is the warning for us as the church today? As I was praying and thinking about this, the warning for me and for you today as the church in this light came from Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. That's the loveless church of Ephesus. I want us to listen to this as I read it. He says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. This thing says he who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks in the midst of golden lamps. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and found them to be liars. And you have preserved, persevered, and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake, have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this thing against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove the lampstand from its place. Unless you repent... But this you have, that you have hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate too. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to it of the fruit of life in the midst of the paradise of God. Has it just become words, or are there any fruit in the vineyard? Jesus goes on and says, whosoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whomsoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. There was a choice here, and there's a choice here for every person. We can be broken in our surrender to God, or be completely broken to powder by his judgment. It's a choice. It's a choice for us. He says, I know your works, I know your labor, I know God is saying the same thing to us today here. I know that you love scripture. I know that you love the truth of the word. I know that you walk in, in knowledge. You know these things. I know that you know them and I'm delighted that you know them. But there is one thing that has left. Where is the first love? Where is the action? Where is the action, Broadway? We should be careful not to be people with big heads and little hearts. Because we can know a lot of things. We can stand against a lot of things. We, we, can, we, we can cut scripture by head, which is a good thing. But if there is no walk with it, it is futile. We can talk about the way we love one another. But if there is no love in reality... We are nothing but a sounding gong. We are nothing but just like these people who were testing Jesus here in this chapter. 
he's calling us to repentance. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come quickly to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's a call for us to repent, to bear fruit. It's a call for us not to just be words, but to be action. We are called to be people of both words and action. Words without action are empty and cheap. Anyone can say them. Anyone can say them. And as we read this, my challenge to you as I end, worship team can come forward. I've got a question that's on the screens for you. As you think about this, as you walk through this, as you ask the Lord whether you're bearing fruit or not, I want you as well to ask yourself, is Jesus the capstone for you? Is he the cornerstone for you? Is he the most important part of your building? Or does he feel like a milestone that's hung around your neck that weighs you down or drags you? He wants to be the capstone, not the milestone. He wants to be the capstone, not that millstone that's put around the neck that Jesus speaks about that drowns. He wants a living relationship. And that relationship walks with being light, not heavy. The Bible tells us, let's put away everything that weighs us down. It doesn't say it's the sin. It says, end the sin that so entangles us. The good things that weigh us down, let's put them aside and run lightly. This race that is set before us. Broadway is the fruit that the owner of the vineyard will find in us. Let us show that fruit of repentance. That fruit of being the children of God. God bless you.